Hello, and welcome to Lighting the Shadows, a podcast all about mental health. I'm your host, Kristen Lowerson, and in today's episode, we'll be continuing to explore relationships and mental health with a focus on sexuality. In this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Ashley Lovell, a marriage and family therapist specializing in sexuality. Ashley talks about her journey to becoming a therapist with a focus on sexuality, basic principles for a healthy sex life, the connection between sexuality and mental health, and more. Ashley is one of the few people I've known and kept in contact with since I was a little girl. Our families grew up around the corner from each other, and since I was tiny, I've always looked up to Ashley and her family. I adore Ashley's ability to love and serve others, her fun and kind personality, and her openness and honesty. It was an absolute pleasure to interview her and learn more about her practice and her wisdom. This interview was one of my first and was recorded before I bought my microphone, so the audio quality is not the best, but the information is fantastic. So I hope you can bear with me through this episode. Thank you for tuning in today, and I hope you love learning from Ashley as much as I have. I am so excited to have Ashley Lovell on the line with me today. Ashley, welcome. Thanks for uh, inviting me to talk with you tonight. I'm so excited. So when I first found out what you do for a living, I was instantly intrigued. And I've been wanting to have a conversation with you ever since. So would you start off by describing exactly what you do in your profession And also, what led you, I'm really curious about this, what led you to deciding it was what you wanted to go into? Yeah, so I guess I'll start with kind of what drew me into this field. So when I was an undergraduate, I was studying family life. And I remember in one of my classes, there was a girl who she was talking about wanting to be a marriage therapist. And I was like, that sounds like the worst job. Like, I could not pick a worse job in the world you know, to sit with people just fighting who don't like each other. And so this was never something I originally planned on. But I took a couple classes um, from a professor. Her name is Tammy Hill. And I just I really loved her classes. And she was a marriage and family therapist. And so kind of the turning point for me, I really looked up to this woman. And she was teaching a class on sexual wellness in marriage. They used a book called Sexual Wholeness in Marriage, and it talks about the many parts of ourselves, how they complement one another. And for me growing up, so I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so to me, Mm -hmm. my, you know, my faith and my spirituality was always super important. And I Mm -hmm. also always felt really connected and in tune with my own sexuality. And for a long time growing up, it kind of felt like those two parts didn't fit well together. It felt like it kind of had to be one or the other. And so anyways, when I was in this class with Tammy Hill, they taught about how all those pieces can fit together. And it was just so, it just sat so right with me, this idea that like, my sexuality and my spirituality really complement each other. That totally makes sense the way that you're feeling that way, because I think most of us feel that way because we don't talk about sexuality and especially in a spiritual sense, Mm -hmm. it seems very separate to me. Just thinking about it now, it's hard to picture that together. So Mm -hmm. I love how you pointed that out because like, I don't, I don't even know growing up if I knew what being connected to my sexuality even looked like mm-hmm. or that it even was a thing. Like, I knew that spirituality was important. I've always known that. But it was something that just wasn't talked about growing up. And I, I didn't really feel like that was, like, an important thing, that it was an important need. 
I always felt like it was almost a bad part of myself. And so in this class, we, you know, I started to see sexuality as actually very ennobling and, you know, such a beautiful power. So that was kind of the start. And then um, she had a guest lecturer come to class, uh, Anthony Hughes. And he just had so much, he's a sex therapist here in Utah County. And he just had so much passion for his job. He was talking about therapy and, you know, the couples he worked with loved each other and, you know, how empowering it was to work with these people who really cared about each other. And so I was like, hold up. I didn't know couples therapy could be like that. I thought it was just like people yelling at each other. I went home that day and I told my husband, someday I'm going to work for Anthony Hughes. Like, I don't know how, like, that's my dream job. And that's actually what happened in grad school. He taught my sex therapy class. Um, and hired me as an intern, and I've been working for him ever since, and I feel like it was all just kind of perfect timing. Everything fell together just how it was supposed to. That's incredible that you're able to to get your dream job, and that you actually knew what that was, that over time and throughout experiences that you had, it really pointed you into that right direction, mm-hmm. and then you had opportunities that things just kind of fell into place for you. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's amazing. So what is sex therapy or what exactly do you do in your profession? Like, yeah, kind of walk us through what does your day look like? What do you, what do you actually do? I think when people hear sex therapy, their mind is kind of like, oh my gosh, like, what is this kinky, crazy type of therapy? But really, <laughs> um, at least the way that I practice therapy, and there's lots of different approaches. But the way that I do it is it's similar to any type of therapy in that we have individuals or couples coming in and we're talking through issues. So I just I always want people to know, like, we're not doing any sexual practices in the office or anything like that. That is not my profession. (laughs) (laughs) And there are some professions where that is more what you do, but mine is more just talking through the issues. And so usually when therapy is starting, it's just kind of getting to know the person, kind of what brings them into therapy, um, the goals that they have. So I usually do the first session is a couple coming together, unless someone's just doing individual work. But so yeah, in my practice, we look at, you know, how religion and culture and the family you grew up in and current relationships, how all of that kind of impacts what you're experiencing. So yeah, I'll have a couple come in and then I usually do an individual session, one with the wife, one with a husband. Um, and then we kind of come back together and I say, okay, here are some patterns that I'm seeing, some things that I've noticed. And I kind of divvy up responsibilities for each person. I didn't know before I was trained. I thought therapy was just you kind of go in and talk and the person just asks the right questions, but there's a lot of different theories and models of therapy. And so at that point I'll kind of choose, okay, what, what's going to be the best way to work with this couple and just try to use that model as like a framework as we're moving forward. And so, yeah, therapy, um, it's a lot of just understanding early experiences that they had Um, messages that they've received throughout their life and kind of thinking, okay, like, is this a true message or is this, is there maybe a little bit of a a lie to this message? Um, And really just helping couples create their own sexual relationship and helping them understand it doesn't have to look like anyone else's um, and just figuring out what they really want it to be. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like that's so important for everyone to do is to look at the way that they think and look at the way that they view themselves in the world Mm -hmm. and then be curious about it and, you know, ask yourself, is this the way that I want to continue to think? Is this the way that I want to continue to be and continue to view the world? Because there's always going to be something that would be benefit beneficial for us to change about ourselves or a different view or a different idea, uh, maybe something unconscious or something that's been ingrained in us since we were Mm -hmm. little. It's good to question those things and, you know, wonder, is this really the best 
the best way to look at life? Is this really the best way to keep on going forward? Yeah. So I love how you brought that aspect into it. Um, because I think that's, that's something that's often overlooked when talking about intimacy. You know, yeah. you don't really think about like, oh, like, how is who I am? And how is the way that I've developed? How does that play into the way I view intimacy? And the way I show up with my intimate partner. So I love that. I, I love that you brought that aspect into it. I think it's something that, that isn't talked about or thought about enough. Thank I think you. we get a lot of implicit messages from the world around us. And sometimes we don't even notice how they're affecting us until we make those messages a little more explicit. And then we can say, okay, this is the idea that I was taught. Like, what do I want to do with it? So I, I really like the quote about the unexamined life is not worth living because I really do think it's, it's so important to look at ourselves and the messages that we've got and to not just passively accept the messages because there's so many that I, I think are really inaccurate and, and harmful. For sure. So I feel like, and we've talked about this a little bit, but this is such a taboo topic. And often it only comes up like in the locker room and people just don't talk about it openly enough. Mm -hmm. But I feel like most people, most people want to know if their experience with intimacy is normal, if it's healthy. And I know everybody's experience looks different and you know, that's, that's good because we're all different, but are there like, are there any basic principles that you, you know of that kind of define what a healthy a general healthy intimate relationship looks like yeah well you know when I was thinking about this podcast that was a point that I really wanted to make was you know everyone's relationship looks different and what works for some couples won't work for other couples a lot of times what people come into me for is kind of just wondering like are we normal like is it okay that we are this way and a lot of times I just kind of flip the question, like, are you, are you okay with it? You know, this is how things are. And um, mm -hmm. a lot of times when we take away expectations for what a sexual relationship should look like, and I say that with like air quotes, no one can see that. But when we take away like <laughs> those expectations, I think it creates like room for people to be at peace wherever they're at. So I do have a couple ideas about just general principles that I've seen be really helpful with people I meet with. And this is something I'm sure I'll continue to refine over the course of my career. But so there's three principles that I think are really important. So the first is to focus on pleasure versus performance. What I mean by that is sometimes I'll have people come in and they're really distraught because they're not having like vaginal penetration sex. And that's that's often what people categorize like that is sex. Everything else doesn't mm -hmm. count. You know, it's just nothing. And so I'll have people come in really distraught. Um, but they'll say, you know, we do so many other things together. We feel so close when we cuddle or, you know, we give massages to one another. And I tell them, you know, that's, that's great that you've found things that work for you. And we kind of talk about, you know, why they feel that it's important to have that penetration and things. But... I really like the idea of just sitting wherever you're at with your partner and trying to enjoy exactly where you are without worrying that it has to go to some certain sexual act or that you haven't done things right. And so with, you know, talking to people about this, I really like to incorporate mindfulness. The basic idea of mindfulness is just being present without judgment. And so what I'll typically do is I'll kind of teach part, uh, couples about, you know, breathing for relaxation and tuning in to all of their senses. And I'll have them practice this when they're on walks or when they're eating or in their car, just being aware of, you know, the things that they can see, smell, hear, taste, and feel. And so I'll, I'll do it in session and we'll practice and I'll have them list the things that they can feel like their shoes on the floor or you know the couch underneath them and we'll go through all their senses and then have them practice that together you know regardless of where they're at in sexual activity um, when they're kissing try to be present 
and notice the things that they enjoy and that they like about it. Or even if they're just holding hands in the car, you know, really notice the feeling of your partner's thumb touching your skin. And I think slowing down like that helps people to be able to connect in all types of physical touch. And it kind of opens up the possibilities that it doesn't have to look just one way. Um, You don't have to run around the bases in a certain order. Like really, it can be intimate and connecting wherever you're at in this sexual spectrum. Yeah. I love how you brought mindfulness into this because I think mindfulness is so important Mm -hmm. nowadays more than it used to be because we have so many distractions. I find myself constantly distracted by things and it's really hard with all of those distractions to stay present. Oh yeah. With my cell phone and with, you know, my mind is just goes and goes and goes. And it's really hard for me to even just in conversation give somebody especially with my kids and I hear mom 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 like all day long it's hard for me to put away my distractions and to be present and to just focus on what is happening right in that moment so I love that you brought in mindfulness and that you started with that because you know how can you expect to be intimately connected with somebody in such a physical and spiritual and emotional way if your mind is going a million miles yeah. an hour in the background, or you're thinking about whatever it is that you're thinking about. But then along with that, I love with mindfulness too, that there's no shame attached mm-hmm. to it. So like if, you're, if your mind goes somewhere, it's not hating your mind for doing so. And it's not hating yourself for like having random thoughts. It's just kindly and gently bringing your mind back to the present, focusing on something physical and just being gentle with yourself and giving yourself grace. Because sometimes I find for me, I'm like trying to force mindfulness and (laughs) that like backfires on me. Like, no, I need to be present and no, I need to. And then I feel like guilt for not being. And then like my mind will go down the guilt train, Yeah, you know, so hard thing. It is very counter to the culture that we live in and I tell people you know breathing and slowing down the mind it's it's just like any other skill like if you're practicing soccer you're gonna have to practice to get good at it and same thing with being present and being mindful it it takes practice and you don't have to be perfect at it and it's okay like there might be times that your thoughts are distracting you and maybe that's that's okay to recognize okay there's these other important parts of my life And it's hard. And that's something that I hear from a lot of people is one of the most difficult parts of their sexual life is just being able to stay in the moment. And so if any listeners are experiencing that, that is, that's totally normal. The second principle is just the idea of slowing down. And this, again, is something that's hard in our culture. And we have lots of different responsibilities, but taking time to enjoy the experience, um, One thing I'll talk to a lot of people and they'll say, you know, when we were dating, like it was so easy. And now that we're married, it's, it's really, really hard. And part of that I think is because there's less responsibilities typically when you're, you know, single and and younger. So taking time to um, slow down and breathe together. I like having people, you know, experiment with different types of touch. So um, massages, tickling each other's arms or tickling each other's legs, you know, things that aren't typically seen as like sexual necessarily, but are connecting. And then just the third principle, I call it adaptability and acceptance. And basically the idea is just throughout your life, you know, your, your biology changes, your schedule changes, your life circumstances change. And so um, being kind to yourself and to your partner and being okay with change in your sex life, um, it's going to look really different when you're dating compared to when you have small children, compared to when you're retired. So just having you know kindness and grace for yourself and your partner and recognizing it doesn't have to look the same your whole life. There's a research I always quote to people 
and it's called the good enough sex model and basically um these researchers went and interviewed people who you know consider themselves to have really good sex lives and they found that like around 15 to 20 percent of the time these people with good sex lives had sex that was dysfunctional or just not good and so i like to tell clients that that you know it's okay to have a 15 or like you know to have an experience where it wasn't earth shattering you know it wasn't anything crazy maybe it didn't go the way that you planned that's totally normal and it's okay to shake it off and again to just be kind to yourself and to your partner and recognize that not every time it has to be fireworks and and that's okay and if you think about this is probably this is probably a silly comparison but I don't know, just something that I thought of while you were talking was like, if you're preparing for an exam (laughs) and you've made it in your mind to be this big exam, it's stressful. And a lot of times because of the stress, people end up flunking the exam, even though they know Mm -hmm. the material. And it makes sense if you are acting like you're preparing for this big examination before (laughs) you you have sex with your partner and you're making it into this thing it has to be and you're prepping yourself mentally and you just have all that pressure on yourself or your your partner then obviously like when stress is there and anxiety like how can you experience love you know so it makes sense that it's such Mm -hmm. a mental game that if you're not if you have all these expectations high expectations of yourself or the other person or what it's going to actually look like, the physicalities of it, then it seems like it would be really hard to pass the test per se. I I like that comparison. I think that is totally accurate when you're, you know, psyching yourself up or I know for some people too, you know, it's so draining to get, uh, I guess, prepared for that test or, you know, to, to get ready for this big sexual adventure. And so they're like, this is this is going to require too much of me and they just don't go there anymore. And so I, I like that idea of just good enough sex. You know, you, you want to be able to have good experiences and, and connecting experiences. And sometimes it's okay to just have a good enough experience. Yeah. So those are the three principles. So just a recap. The three principles are pleasure over performance, slow down, and adaptability and acceptance. Thank you for sharing that. Those principles were not what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, but what you said really rang true for me. That brings up a good point. I think when people hear sex therapy, they're expecting like, you know, give us some new positions or some toys or, you know, like some kind of um, just something more tangible. And a lot of it is really just kind of mental things and just processing and, and learning to connect differently. So... Yeah. And I think in my head, I was expecting this is how it should look like. And it's actually the opposite. (laughs) There's not one thing that it should look like. It's just all about you connecting with the person that you love and working on that connection with them and, you know, being present with them and, and focusing on the love that you share. And it doesn't have to look a certain way. It's, it's all about what you both just both and of you connecting I, with each other. To me, that other. just seems so much more achievable. It takes the pressure off, mm-hmm. which makes yep. everything more enjoyable. <laughs> so what do you know about the connection between the ability to create a healthy relationship with a partner and mental health? One thing that I see is people never exist in a vacuum. We all have relationships and experiences that kind of inform the way that we communicate and um, act around other people. One thing that I see, I like to think about couples as kind of like a solar system. Um, So the way that I talk to them about it is, you know, at the center of the solar system is the sun. It's this, you know, just glorious, glowing sphere. And I think about each one of us, we kind of have that center of ourselves that is you know, glorious, and that is our true self. That is just the best version of ourselves. And so that's at the very center of who we are. And there's also, um, you know, sometimes some planets or moons that pop up. And those are things like 
anxiety or depression or anger. And so I think sometimes mental illness will kind of eclipse our true selves, if that makes sense. Um, So what I'll see sometimes is, you know, someone's Mm -hmm. anxiety might pop up and they're relating to other people through their anxiety rather than, you know, from like their, their true self. In my life, when I'm, you know, responding to my husband with anxiety, then that makes sometimes a defensive or, you know, a different part of him pop up. And pretty soon we're not, we're not talking self to self. It's not very productive. Instead, it's my anxiety and his defensiveness, and it's just going nowhere. And so that's sometimes what I'll see with couples is when they don't understand their mental illness or they don't have a good relationship with, you know, whatever mental health struggles they're having, then it's really hard to, like, truly connect to their partner and relate to them. And so I see part of what I do with people is helping them understand, you know, if it's anxiety or, you know, whatever it is they're struggling with, helping them understand that part a little bit more. So then they can act from a their true self and kind of say, okay, anxiety, like, I've got this, I want to be present in this moment. And then they can start connecting self to self rather than, you know, these little parts. I love how you painted that picture. I've never heard the comparison of like a solar system and the different parts of ourselves. And I really, I was just like in my head picturing my own solar system Mm -hmm. and my anxiety that goes around and around. And (laughs) I can totally see how when we're not connecting with our, our true selves, then how can we, how can we connect with others? And especially how can we connect with them Mm -hmm. in a very intimate way? when we're acting on defense or we're acting through anxiety or whatever it is. And I think for me, I had this idea that I was my anxiety Mm -hmm. and I was my depression and I was all these issues. And I didn't really know who that Mm -hmm. center son was, you know? And so that's when it gets confusing. I think for a lot of people is when you view yourself as one of those eclipses per se, and you don't see or your, or your partner. And I think it's so important to see beyond that, to see the person for who they are in the center of themselves yeah. as their true self. And the reason why therapy is so important and why I've come to love therapy is because therapy helps us recognize, hey, that's not my true self, that's anxiety talking, and that's not who I am. It's just yep. my automatic response. You know, I see two people finally connecting self to self, and it's so interesting because a lot of times when that mm. happens, all of the worries and the concerns and, you know, issues that they had they're not just gone. It's not like their sex life is just perfectly fine, but they're more okay with where they're at and just more at peace. And it's, it's so beautiful to watch it. Like is to me, the only word that comes to mind is sacred. It's very, a very sacred experience. It sounds so fulfilling to be a part of that and to be a part of such a a intimate part of people's journeys. And I think I found for me, I wasn't able to do that on my own. I wasn't able to figure out, oh, hey, this this anxiety is Mm -hmm. just a reaction I'm having. It's not me. I really needed therapy. And for me, it took several therapists to really find the right one that I clicked with. Um, But it, it took time and it took seeking out the right therapist to be able to, you know, tell me and for me to have that awakening, I guess of this isn't me that isn't him it's just something a reaction that we need to work through but you're gonna keep on acting in anger you're gonna keep on acting in anxiety you're gonna keep on acting in those whatever your defenses are and you know that outside of who you truly are Mm -hmm. if you don't address it our parts arise for different reasons you know sometimes it's because of relationships sometimes it's our you know biology and chemical makeup 
you know, I liked what you said about finding the right therapist. And sometimes you have to take different approaches to work on those parts. And um, it's not just a quick fix at all. It's, it does take time and, and finding the right person to help you work through it. So definitely. And it might be several different people. Like sometimes I get frustrated when I look at my journey of, oh, seeing this therapist and this therapist and a handful of people. But honestly, yeah. maybe that's what I needed. You know, maybe I needed the one thing that they gave me and the other thing that they gave me. And it's just a journey. And it's frustrating when you're in the middle of it and you're not seeing answers and you're not seeing um, solutions. And it's not like you said, it's so not a quick fix. And it can be really hard and frustrating when you're in the middle of it. But I feel like getting to the point that I am now and looking back, I'm so grateful for that journey. Yeah. So I'm really curious if you have ever seen or if you know if an unhealthy intimate relationship can contribute to the development of anxiety, depression, or other mental illnesses. So there's another model in therapy called the biopsychosocial model. And basically the idea is mental illness can come about through biology psychological like the ways that we think about things or also social like the relationships that we're in I would say that I can definitely see issues in the sexual relationship you know contributing to negative thought patterns or feeling bad about yourself um, when I was thinking about this question a thought that I had is typically if I've seen things like that it's not necessarily that you know, there's a lack of penetration or, you know, it's not typically just the physical things that are happening, but it's kind of the feelings of being rejected or disconnected. And so I feel like a lot of times when this is the case, and, and I'm just speaking generally, this probably isn't true for everyone, but I think a lot of times it's kind of like sex is a symbol or an indicator of other things. Um, so you, if I'm not having sex with my partner, maybe you start to think, oh, I, I'm not beautiful or I'm a bad wife. And, and some of those thoughts and those reactions can create uh, maybe those feelings of anxiety or depression. But just from what I've seen, I've seen that kind of the side effects of sexual issues are more what lead to those like mental states. I mean, it makes sense to that people just wouldn't want to be intimate if they had other issues going on. And usually it stems from other issues and people are going to be intimate more often when they feel connected and their relationship is good. So it makes sense that mm -hmm. it, it, it's kind of a portrayal of how everything is in their relationship. There are some cases with sexual dysfunction. Sometimes it, there's a relational root, but oftentimes there's also something um, or there can be something biological going on. So, for example, um, erectile dysfunction, something linked to that is diabetes. Or um, for some women, they'll experience pain during intercourse. And that could, because, um, that could be because of a lack of lubrication. Sometimes there's internal tearing. So there are times where things might not be working because of, like, a physical cause. And... I guess I have seen, you know, when that's the case, then anxieties start to develop. So an example that I see a lot is with, with painful mm, intercourse. Yes. The woman is unaware that there's um, something biological going on. And so she starts to really beat herself up and, you know, worry every time that sex is going to be painful. And so then even after the physical issue is resolved, there's a lot of anxiety um, to kind of work through so that she can get to that point of having a good experience. So there are definitely cases where there is like something physical going on and then there's kind of some emotional fallout because of it. Yeah, I wonder too, for mm -hmm. people who have been sexually abused in the past, I feel like that would definitely play into like a mental, a mental struggle. The body's really good at protecting us and taking care of us again not all the time but oftentimes if there is trauma um, there can be some anxiety with things that are similar to the traumatic experience so 
yeah, that definitely plays a part. So along those lines, how can someone know if they're in an unhealthy relationship? There are a lot of subtle and different ways to do a relationship healthy and to do a relationship unhealthy. So some of the things that I think that are you know, clear indicators that it's an unhealthy relationship is if you are feeling scared or if you set down a boundary and you feel like um, your partner is always trying to push up against that boundary or they just disregard it completely, you know, that's not a fair situation for you to be in. You should be able to create your boundaries and, and feel safe with your partner. So I think, you know, pushing on boundaries a lot and trying to cross boundaries is a big indicator. And then if, I feel like when it comes to sexuality, that's the biggest thing. If you are, you know, trying to say no or trying to create a space for yourself and that's not being respected, then that's somewhere where there's like an unequal power balance. Another thing is if your partner is withholding from you. So if you, you know, don't act a certain way or don't behave a certain way, then they, you know, withdraw their love or they withdraw physical affection from you in my mind that is emotional abuse um to withdraw yourself from someone for not being perfect and so those are the two things that i kind of thought of is just Mm -hmm. when they're not respecting boundaries when they withdraw um love from you if you you know somehow don't meet their expectations yeah so as a woman and i feel like this question has come up several times in conversation with friends if you're feeling exhausted and you're feeling you know just like not having sex and your husband (laughs) is really wanting it and you just feel like you can't be Mm -hmm. there and you can't be present in the moment because you're so tired is it okay to withhold sex or is that seen as emotional abuse you know setting your own boundary for your own well-being that's very different from withholding it because your partner doesn't meet your expectations or because you want them, you know, to play by your rules or to be under your influence. So I'm really glad you bring that up because I think I'm trying to think of the a best way to illustrate that difference. You know, with withholding, I think comes from a place of wanting to kind of put your partner in their place and you know establish power over them and it's more about i don't know i guess making them suffer or you know feeling like um you have the upper hand whereas i think setting a boundary um is a healthy thing that's a way of saying you know i respect you and i want to be able to give you you know the connection that you're seeking and right now i i don't have that capacity and i think it's also helpful if you're there to, you know, communicate things that maybe you would need to be able to be energized. You know, like, you know, tonight I'm I'm so exhausted, but tomorrow I would I would love to do um, maybe go for a walk with you and feel connected, and then maybe could we check back in and, and see how I'm feeling about this. And another thought that I have, and this is maybe a whole other can of worms, is sometimes I I see women will kind of write themselves out of the sexual story. And so they'll see like, you know, sex is for my husband, for him to feel good and for him to, you know, be energized and feel connected and all those things. But they'll kind of write themselves out of that story. And so I think trying to find ways of being physical with your partner that do energize you and that do, you know, something positive and something good for you. Then, you know, if, if your partner's wanting to connect, you can say, you know yeah. what, like, the act, maybe, um, you know, penetration, that's not going to energize me tonight. But I would love to just hold each other and, and maybe kiss. And I, I have the energy for that. Figuring out ways that you can be a part of that story. Yeah. You know, I think it's very common as women to have that idea of, oh, well, this is for my husband. And I don't want him to go off and be mm-hmm. tempted by other things like I, I need to fulfill his needs and so I've got to just I've just got to you know power through this and I have I think that's common yeah um so I'm really glad that you brought that up that listen to yourself and listen to your own wants and needs 
And it's been interesting. I'm sure, I'm sure this is for most relationships, but in my own relationship, when I have voiced my own needs or wants, and even if, if they're not what I think my husband would want, he actually appreciates it Mm -hmm. way more than I ever expect him to or, or think he would. And I find that honestly, he just wants, he wants to please me and he wants to do what I want more often than not. But if he's left in the dark and he doesn't know how I'm thinking and he doesn't know how I'm feeling and he's getting all of these feelings of resentment back from me, then it just creates issues, you know? And it's like this, this unspoken tension that we can feel and then it ends up not even being worth the effort because I'm not voicing what I'm thinking and feeling. I'm just silently <laughs> thinking like, why do I have to do this? I, <laughs> I just have to fulfill your needs. And yeah, it's, I think it's so important for women and for people to realize that it's yeah. not a one way thing and it can be such a sacred and beautiful thing but you need to learn what you like and it that that doesn't have to look a certain way be a certain way or you know it's just being in tune with yourself and what feels good and what helps you feel connected and what helps you feel loved from your partner being in tune with that and vocalizing it I think is so important just having that open communication So are there any sexual myths out there that you feel are important to address? The one that just gets me the most is, you know, the idea that sex is not for women and also the idea that we are in charge of other people's sexuality. I think that that's so, so common. And I even find myself sometimes having to be like, okay, wait a second. Like, I'm I'm not in charge of my husband's emotions or his sexuality like I'm in charge of myself that's a myth that drives me up the wall and I think when we as women are able to see ourselves in the story and also you know own our own sexuality and let our husbands own their own sexuality you know then that's one of those things that allows us to show up and be interacting self to self rather than um, you know through different eclipses or different parts of ourselves so And it's really hard because a lot of times men buy into that idea too, that like, you know, my wife is there to please me. And so it's a, it's a myth that you have to challenge together. But um, when you own your own sexuality and let your partner own their own, there's just so much more space for pleasure and, you know, giving and receiving. Yeah. And that was my next question too. What do you do if you are in say, an abusive or controlling or narcissistic relationship where you're trying to state your boundaries, you're trying to state, you're trying to state your true self and the other person isn't honoring that. And the other person is saying, no, this is all about me. You're wrong to have needs. You're wrong to have wants. You're here to please me. What do you do in that situation? Are those just signs that you need to leave the relationship? If, someone is in that relationship and their partner is willing to come to therapy it can be really helpful to have another person there to kind of notice what's happening and to help point out the things that are going on um, and also create like a, a safety plan how to keep the couple safe as they work through these issues so my first thought is if they're willing to come to therapy with you um you know invite them and have them be a part of that. If they're not willing to come to therapy, always the first priority is your safety. And so if it's a situation where you are feeling, you know, unsafe or like you could be hurt or anything, you know, trying to create a support group, um, people who understand kind of what you're experiencing, finding ways to document some of the things you're experiencing. But if, if you're in a spot where you feel, you know, mostly safe in that relationship, but there is some um, of that like boundary crossing um, or expecting your partner, expecting you to please them. Um, I think trying to recognize, you know, what, what part is coming up for them. You know, if they're showing you their anger, 
why is that part there? How is it maybe trying to help them? What are they really seeking after? And you can ask them that too, you know, when you want to have sex with me, what, like, why is it that you want to have sex or why is it that you want to do these things? What are you hoping we can get from it? And trying to highlight the good or the positive. So, you know, if you were to ask someone and say, okay, like, what are you trying to get from me when you do this? And maybe they um, want to connect to you or they want to have your attention. Um, You can kind of reflect back to them like, okay, like, it sounds like you really value my attention or value whatever it is they're saying and say, okay, I'm, I'm glad this is something you value. Can we find a way that works for both of us for you to kind of get what you want? Um, so if you're valuing connection, what are some other ways that works for both of us that we can feel connected? And that's, it's kind of a tricky question because it definitely Mm -hmm. depends on the level of severity and safety in the relationship. Some partners would be open and have a conversation like that. And I could see others just totally keeping their walls up. And if that's the case, it's, that's a hard spot to be in when other people won't acknowledge the the parts yeah. of themselves that are maybe not so nice to see. Yeah. I I loved what you said at the beginning just being curious and we've we've touched on this several times throughout this episode but just being curious about the other person mm-hmm. and not drawing conclusions and asking questions and trying to learn about them. But I do think that there is a point where it gets severe, severe enough, if they're telling you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if they're telling you, you're not allowed to have needs, you're not allowed to have Mm -hmm. wants, you know, it's all about me, this relationship is all about me, like that narcissistic kind of attitude, and they're unwilling to go to therapy, I think sometimes, especially if you're dealing with anxiety, and you're dealing with some mental challenges yourself, and you're told by your partner who's supposed to love you that you're less than and you're not good enough and you know it's all about them and you can't have needs and you can't have a voice I feel like that's when you get therapy yourself and you really decide you know if this is this relationship worth Mm -hmm. it and like you said your safety comes first and I think if there's any listeners that are in that kind of relationship and feeling those kind of feelings, I just want to validate them that, you know, you have needs and it's good and it's human and (laughs) it's important to listen to your needs and to listen to your, your heart and to listen to your intuition and it's your needs need to they're important. They're important that. too. It's not all about the other person. I think that's, that's important for people to, to realize because yeah, when you're in a, in the midst of an abusive relationship, I've heard this from, from some friends, but when you're in the midst of that, it's hard to really believe that you have worth and that you, you have needs and wants that can be met too and that should be met. So do you have any resources that you would like to share with listeners that you feel could be helpful? You've mentioned an app for Apple users. What was it called? It's called Sexual Healing. It's a little green app. And I'm usually not the type to like buy any kind of apps, but this one really is like worth the money. It has a whole bunch of different categories of where you could work on your sexuality. So there's a section for like emotional work and there's a whole bunch of different activities to kind of explore how your emotions influence your sexuality. There's a category for like religion, the family you grew up in. There's a section that talks about safety and it's just full of different activities or thought exercises that kind of help you to light those shadows and um, explore that part of yourself. And then with that, um, there's two books that I really Okay, actually, there's a whole bunch of resources I have, but there's two books that I really like. They're catered specifically to (laughs) members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but they're also pretty applicable to like other Christian faiths. Um, So the one is called You, Me, and We, and that's written by my boss. Um, And he just talks about some of the sexual myths in our culture 
and also kind of sexuality throughout the lifespan and what that could look like. Um, and the other book is the one that I used in the course where I fell in love with sex therapy. It's called Sexual Wholeness in Marriage. And I really love that. There's also some really good podcasts out there. My favorite one is Jennifer Finlayson Fife's podcast. She is a sex therapist out of Chicago. And she just has a lot of really cool thoughts. And a lot of the, the stuff that she talks about really aligns with my views of therapy and spirituality and sexuality. So she's a really great resource. Fantastic. So concluding with our final question, what does lighting the shadows mean to you? Lighting the shadows is bringing all of your different parts of yourself together and aligning them. So, you know, in this case, I see bringing spirituality and sexuality together um, and finding ways that you know, sexuality can be an ennobling and a connecting and a beautiful experience rather than just base and just lustful, which is also like, that's fun too. And it's good to explore those areas of sexuality as well. But I think that lighting the shadows is exactly what you're doing. You know, having these conversations about things that people don't normally talk about and recognizing that just because we don't talk about something doesn't mean that it's bad it just means that we haven't talked about it and so having these kinds of conversations and um, just being curious about some of those things that maybe we don't know and and sitting and listening rather than just avoiding the things that we might not know about or that might be kind of dark and scary to us I like that I like how you brought that in to your relationship with yourself because I haven't thought about that yet Um, how lighting the shadows within yourself. That's a beautiful picture. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for your time and sharing your knowledge and wisdom. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on Lighting the Shadows. I hope you felt inspired to keep shining your light and be the unique person that you are, a person worth love, peace, joy, and life. I hope today's material has been helpful for you in some way. If you have any questions or comments, or if you would like to be a guest speaker, you can contact me through my website, lightingtheshadows.org. Have a wonderful week.